And this week we come to the most challenging, I would say the most gut-wrenching, the most heartfelt, the most painful of the words that Jesus speaks from the cross. Uh, My Hebrew pronunciation is terrible, but it's Eloi, Eloi, Lamasabachthani. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? I'd like to read you, um, if I may, from Psalm... I don't know why people say that. I'd like to do this, if I may. You don't get a choice. I'm going to do it. Walk out. Don't I'm, read it. Um, I'm going to read to you from, from Psalm 22, which I, I think this is the psalm that Jesus was reciting on the cross. Bearing in mind that Jesus, being a good Jewish boy, would have memorised the first five books of the Bible by a fairly young age. Um, given that he's called Rabbi, he probably memorised most of the Old Testament uh, by this point in his life. So for him to be able to recite Psalm 22 while hanging on the cross is not particularly far-fetched. Um, so I imagine that Jesus reads the whole thing as he's, as he's hanging there on the cross. I'm going to read it to you and hopefully you'll be able to see why I think that. The first line is, Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? In Psalm 22. Why are you so far from saving me? So far from my cries of anguish. My God, I cry out by day, but you do not answer. By night, but I find no rest. Anyone ever felt like that? God, where are you? Verse 3, yet you are enthroned as the Holy One, you are the one Israel praises, in you our ancestors put their trust, they trusted and you delivered them. To you they cried out and were saved, in you they trusted and were not put to shame. Anyone ever feel like that sometimes? God, where are you? And you kind of try and bring to mind what God has done in the past. But God, you came through in the past. You were there in the past when you do it again. Verse 6. But I am a worm and not a man, scorned by everyone, despised by people. All who see me mock. They hurl insult, shaking their head. He trusts in the Lord, they say. Let the Lord rescue him. Let him deliver him, since he delights in him. Are we hearing a bit of, the, of why this is at the cross as well? Like, this was written thousands, hundreds of years before Jesus said it. But are we getting that sense that this is speaking about the cross? He trusts in the Lord, they say. Let the Lord rescue him. Which is what one of the thieves shouted at Jesus. Yet you brought me out of the womb. You made me trust in you, even at my mother's breast. From birth I was cast on you. From my mother's womb you have been my God. Verse 11. Do not be far from me. For trouble is near and there is no one to help. Many bulls surround me. Strong bulls of Bashan encircle me. Roaring lions that tear their prey. Open their mouths wide against me. I am poured out like water and all my bones are out of joints. My heart has turned to wax. It is melted within me. My mouth is dried up like a pot's herd. Remember when Jesus says, I thirst. And my tongue sticks to the roof of my mouth. You lay me in the dust of death. Dogs surround me. A pack of villains encircle me. They pierce my hands and my feet. Remember, this is written hundreds of years before Jesus uttered the words on the cross. All my bones are on display. People stare and gloat over me, as the Roman soldiers would have done at the feet of Jesus. Verse 18, they divide my clothes among them. 
They cast lots for my garment, but you, Lord, do not be far from me. You are my strength. Come quickly to help me. Deliver me from the sword, my precious life from the power of dogs. Rescue me from the mouth of the lions. Save me from the horns of the wild oxen. And then it finishes with verse 31. They will proclaim his righteousness, declaring to a people yet unborn. He has done it. Powerful words. As I say, I feel the most gut-wrenching of Jesus' words from the cross. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? As he starts this, this psalm of lament from the cross. God, where are you? I feel that that's the kind of sentiment that I've said over the last couple of months at times. God, where are you? Where are you? Why have you forsaken me? Sometimes you feel like you can't say that to God, don't you? So I don't know about you, but there's something in you that's disappointed or angry. I once wrote a sermon called Disappointment with God. And it was at a time where we are going through some really uh, tough stuff. Charity had paralysed her arm. Sorry, Charity arm. I'd crashed the car and paralysed Charity's arm. Let's, I should take, take responsibility for some of that. But it was horrible. She couldn't play guitar and, well, she had a paralysed arm for, for several months. And I was so angry at God because it, it just felt like there was no need for that. I was, I was frustrated and I wrote this sermon called Disappointment with God. I, I don't know if you've ever felt like that. That anger, that disappointment, you just want to shout along with Jesus, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And Psalm 22 starts to read a bit more like a personal lament than just a poem from thousands of years ago. Charity's watching this um, NAF TV show about dating at the moment. Um, and it's truly terrible. Uh, but there's, there's these two sisters who are, who are, who are dating. Um, not each other, obviously. It's, I know it's Channel 4, but... It's, two sisters who are dating. And they've got two respected boyfriends. And we're watching this show. And the two sisters, when they're with their partners, they're all sweetness and light. And polite and nice and and kind of always seeking to to be nice and and, and make them laugh and all the rest of it. Tell you what, when you see those two sisters together, they go at it. They're shouting at each other, they're throwing things, they're passionate. Which of those two is the deeper love? Is it the sister with a newfound boyfriend at the restaurant explaining pleasantries? Or is it two sisters who have been through everything together who are not scared, who are not inhibited, who are willing to shout at each other, who are willing to get angry, who have a depth of feeling? And my question to you this morning is, how do you treat God? Which one of those two represents your relationship with him? We read Jesus from the cross My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? You are given permission to be honest with God. You are allowed to drop the niceties. Not just sitting at a table, a restaurant with God, where you feel you just have to be nice and not offend and be polite. That's not real. It's not honest. It's not deep. A deep relationship comes when we are willing to express how we feel to our Creator. It's not just Jesus. Moses does it. 
He argues with God, Moses on the mountains, like, God, they are your people. You deal with them. Can't be bothered with this anymore. He doesn't say I can't be bothered with it anymore, but I'm just paraphrasing. They're your people, God. Jacob says, I will not let you leave this place until you bless me. And he wrestles all night. That's honesty. That's something real. It's something meaningful. It's something deep. Why? Because our faith doesn't lead to politeness. Our faith leads to honesty and openness. And if you feel angry at God, you are given permission, and I would say even encouraged from scriptures, to say along with Jesus, Eloi, Eloi, Lama Sabachthani, God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Where are you? I was reading this book, which I found quite hard, because it just used a lot of long words. Um, so it's difficult to understand. But he made some very interesting points. And he told this little story halfway through, which I thought I'd share with you this morning, um, along this thing. Uh, and he tells a story about a guy called Ahab, who has a group of people. And Ahab wants to keep the relationship between the group of people and God as real as possible. So Ahab institutes something he's learned from the Jews, a day of atonement except he determined to establish a ritual in his own making. And here was the ritual. Once a year, the inhabitants shut themselves up in their houses, made two lists. They turned to face the highest mountain and then raised their fists to the heavens. Here, Lord, are all the sins I have committed against you, they said. Reading the account of all the sins they had committed, business swindles, adulteries, injustices, things of that sort. I have sinned. And beg forgiveness for having offended you so greatly. Then, and here lay Ahab's originality, the residents immediately pulled their second list out of their pocket. Still facing the same mountain, they held it up to the skies too, and they said something like, And here, Lord, is a list of all your sins against me. You made me work harder than necessary. My daughter fell ill despite all my prayers. I was robbed when I was trying to be honest. I suffered more than was fair. After reading the second list, they ended the ritual with, I have been unjust towards you, and you have been unjust towards me. However, since today is the day of atonement, you will forgive my faults, and I will forgive yours, and we will carry on together for another year. I read that. Who you can't say that to God. That's outrageous. It's outrageous. Don't you know who you're talking to? But then I read this passage. Jesus on the cross, God, why have you forsaken me? I'm not saying it's right theology, but I am saying it's an honest relationship. Why have you forsaken me? What do you need to say to God this morning? Along the line of Moses, along the line of Jacob, along the line of Job who rails against God, Along the line of Peter, who argues over whether or, he's not, whether or not he's allowed to eat that food. I would invite you, don't have a pleasant, polite, nice relationship with God. Make it something honest. Make it something that matters. Say along with Jesus if you need to, God, where are you? Why have you forsaken me? But having said that, Let's not kid ourselves that it's a dialogue of equals. 
I am. I know this. I have a, I have a, a toddler who's, um, who's fairly strong-willed. Let's put it like that. He's two, and um, yeah, he's, he knows what he wants, and he doesn't like it when I say no. And I was trying to think about what this represents, what this means. How can we question God? How can we argue with God? How can we rail at God? And the image popped into my mind is something that happens far too regularly, which is when I'm trying to get Boaz to do something and he refuses and he needs to do it, or he throws a tantrum because, I don't know, he asked for an orange and I gave him one, or whatever it is that has tipped him over the edge. There's that image of me holding him and he's like flailing around. He's trying to whack something or cause some damage and I just hold him. He's kicking and throwing his arms and shouting and screaming and I just hold him. And he's crying his eyes out, screaming. And I know if I hold him long enough, he'll calm down. He'll apologise. We'll move on with our life. Have the image of God the Father holding you as you kick and scream and shout. You're allowed to. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And God just takes it. And he takes it. And he lets you shout and kick and punch and scream and cry for as long as you need to. And eventually, we get it out of our system. We say sorry to God and we move on with our life. For another year, we will walk together with our maker. I'm going to pray and then we've got a final song. Father, this morning we have come before you with thanks. We've come before you with a list of things that we are grateful for for the benefits and the gifts that you have given us this week, and we are truly grateful. God, there are other things we bring you that cause us pain and hurt and anger. We come before you with a lot of questions and doubts and frustrations. I thank you that you take those too. We want to have honest relationship with you. We want to have a deep relationship with you. So we ask that you would give us peace. We, don't, we know we're not going to get all the answers. But we ask that you would meet us where we were at. That you would hold us. That in the midst of our questions we would still know your love. We thank you Father that this psalm that we've read begins with, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? But it ends with hope. I'm just going to finish, before the final song, reading the last bit of Psalm 22. Verse 24, For he has not despised or scorned the suffering of the afflicted one. He has not hidden his face from him, but he has listened to his cry for help. From you comes the theme of my praise in the great assembly. Before those who fear you, I will fulfil my vows. The poor will eat and be satisfied. Those who seek the Lord will praise him. May your hearts live forever. At the ends of the earth will remember and turn to the Lord. And all the families of the nations will bow down before him. 
For dominion belongs to the Lord and he rules over the nations. All the rich of the earth will feast and worship. All who go down to the dust will kneel before him. Those who cannot keep themselves alive, posterity will serve him. Future generations will be told about the Lord. They will proclaim his righteousness, declaring to a people yet unborn, he has done it. Father, we thank you that the psalm always ends with hope. Thank you that you take our pains and our frustrations and you just keep being God. Thank you, Father. Amen.